Chapter Four of Only a Ghost by Arrhenius the Deacon, by Sabine Baring Gould. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Four, Serum Use. Saint Chad's was difficult to find. It was in a poor part of the enormous town. I mean, it was in that part of the town which was tenanted by the poor hidden by a number of sordid and densely populated buildings the exterior presented no very striking features but when i reached the entrance i saw at once that some sort of affinity could be claimed with holy cross church at jerusalem the area was grand and spacious full of seats truly but these seats were so unpretentious and low that they did not attract the eyes like those of st silas there were no locks and no bolts and no doors to them boodle true to his appointment had joined me at the door looking as if he did not like it much but that he considered himself bound to keep his engagement well what do you think of it said he rum-looking place ain't it more like a church than anything i've seen yet i am pleased beyond measure at seeing such a crowd of real worshippers but tell me who are these evil-looking persons to our left oh they are the spies spies are they the persons who will carry the information to the prefect prefect no privy council and how do they execute them here by burning crucifixion or wild beasts we haven't got to that yet it's a pleasure to come heavy fines are the great things now i had always heard england was a money-loving country so i supposed this was the greatest punishment the persecutors could inflict and what will these persons do oh they will watch narrowly to see whether the incumbent of the church bows his knee in the middle of a certain prayer and whether he holds the chalice and paten too high and a lot of little things you and i should never notice but what this people hate most the people who employ the spies i mean are lights on the altar above it or around it and why because there is an old custom that two lights shall be set on the altar to show that christ is the light of the world and do these people say he is not the light of the world what odd christians they must be what is the name of the society who employs these spies the society for promoting christianity among the jews no i don't mean that i can't remember it exactly i think it calls itself the church association it was a grand service certainly the music the animation of the priests the devotion of the people the want of distinction between rich and poor the prominent position of the altar the evident subordination of all to the great christian sacrifice was refreshing to one who like myself was anxious to see a revival of things as they were under the blessed cyril at a certain point in the service a servant of the church walked quietly up to the altar and lit the candles i saw a self-satisfied smirk on the part of the spies and heard the rustle of the paper on which they wrote down their records that'll cost him five hundred pounds whispered boodle to me looking at the priest of st chad's and serve him right muttered the shade of the reverend edward starch 
as it quietly floated by me. I never lighted my candles at Grubbington in the clay. I considered they looked much better unlighted. They certainly were much more economical, I replied. It did not matter in the least when Starch and I talked in church, because as we only used ghost language we disturbed nobody. It was another thing when Boodle began, for his remarks were so loud I had serious thoughts of suddenly becoming invisible. I was ashamed of being in his company, for no wooden walls hid us as in the other churches. The main features of the service were grand, the sermon most interesting and rousing, but there were various little affectations that puzzled me, and made me still sigh for Holy Cross and its simple majesty. Everything there seemed so thoroughly natural, whilst at St. Chad's people seemed to be wondering whether all they were doing was in proper order. As we came out, and we did not come out until, as at Holy Cross, all was finished and an end made of the great Christian service of the Eucharist, Boodle turned to me and said, "'Now I shall introduce you to that gentleman, and place you in better hands than mine. He will just suit you, for he understands all these things. Good-bye. I must be off home to dinner. Come and dine? No. Well, never mind. See you another time.' We passed into the little dark cloister leading out of the church, and standing there I saw the individual in question, whom I recognized as one of the assistant priests, with whose minute and rather nervous fussy ways I had been struck. He was a tall, lantern-jawed, cadaverous-looking man, stiff as an iron rod, and impractical as a thunderbolt. "'The Reverend Octagon Fidgets,' murmured Boodle to me, and I heard him whisper to the person in question something about red-hot ritualist, just your sort, you know, meaning me. What he meant I could not imagine. No doubt it was something very appropriate. The Reverend Octagon Fidgets bowed, and walked with me down the street, said in a hollow voice, Miserable service, wasn't it, Mr. I didn't quite catch your name. I should think you didn't and you're not going to now, thought I to myself. Then, in answer to his question, Miserable service, said I, in what way, pray, sir? Why, in the first place, didn't you notice the frontal was all wrong? What was the matter with it? It was the color of Sunday, red. Now you know it ought to have been the color of the saint whose day it was, that is, yellow, serum yellow, for St. Switham, bishop and confessor. It is true some people have a notion that Sundays of a certain class take precedence of the saint's day, but that is wrong, my dear sir, totally wrong. And the Reverend Octagon struck his foot on the curbstone with excitement. I tell my respected incumbent over and over again about it, but he says he has little time for these things, and he must stick to broad principles, but— Hello! Hello! What is happening to you? At this moment, forgetting all my caution, I subsided from the visible to the invisible, and became the shadow of the deacon Irenaeus. The reason was the sudden appearance of the two church association spies, peeping round the corner. I was so horribly nervous at their self-satisfied leer that I felt I could not face them, and I was also afraid lest a natural infirmity of temper— 
should invite me to wreck my bodily combative powers upon them. So all things considered, I judged it better to put such a course entirely out of my own power, and their utter incapability of appreciating the invisible prevented their perceiving that a spirit was near them. The Reverend Octagon Fidgets had a considerable insight into the other world, so he did not entirely lose sight of me. In a few words I explained to him who and what I was, and he did not even seem surprised. He said he was only too delighted to have the opportunity of making my acquaintance. But the marionette, fussy spirit, was too strong in him to allow him to pass over his grievances, and he began again. "'Don't you think it's a horrid shame to pass over St. Swithin?' "'When did he live?' said I. "'Somewhere about nine hundred and something.' "'Ah, that is long after my time, you see, and I am not a fair judge.' "'You don't know anything about the serum yellow, then?' asked the reverend gentleman, in a sepulchre tone. "'Not I.' "'What did you cover your altar with at Holy Cross?' with the best we had, generally white embroidered with black. Ah, the white linen cloth, you mean. But did you have that embroidered? Yes. Why not? The Privy Council would not allow that here. The white linen cloth must be perfectly plain. We never allowed outsiders to interfere, said I indignantly. Then what was your altar like? not so large as yours and not so high up a marble table on four marble legs the drapery being hanged loosely over it not stretched tight like yours huh muttered the curate of st chad's musingly and can you tell me said i turning questioner in my turn why at st silas's the priest stood at the end of the altar and also at st timothy's whilst at st chad's he stood in front of it my dear sir, have you not heard that is the question upon which half the clergy of England are ready to tear the other half in pieces? The whole church in this country is up in arms about the position of the priest at the altar, whether he ought to stand with his back or his right shoulder to the people. Which way do you see it? Neither, said I. The priest stood behind the altar, facing the people, but then the altar was at the west end of the church, the priest faced east and the people west. Huh, said the curate again. We seem to have departed from the primitive practice in some things. Certainly, I replied. For instance, it seemed to me very strange that the epistoler and the gospeler should have read turning away from the people. That is old serum use, said the Reverend Octagon. A very bad use, it struck me. What is the use of reading so that the people can't hear? When we read the gospel, or the epistle, we came out into the midst of the church, and read with a loud and distinct voice. Then I remarked there was no reservation. Ha! said the curate. It will be long before people have reverence enough to resort to the blessed sacrament for worship. I don't mean for worship, said I. The reservation for purposes of worship was long after my time. We reserved for the sick and the absent, and sent it to them by the hands of the deacons. I was one of those happy persons who were messengers of the spiritual food, and very anxious were we that no one should be deprived of it. Ha! Huh, 
said the Reverend Octagon again. Of course, as you are on the spot, I cannot contradict you. Tell me, too, said I, why you shut the doors and allowed none to depart before the more solemn part of the services. I saw several most anxious to go away, and others fidgeting much. Because, replied the curate, all should stay and worship. Those who depart show great irreverence toward the solemn service. But does it not show greater irreverence to detain the unwilling? In my time we bade all depart who were not prepared to communicate faithfully and devoutly, and diligent care was taken that there should be no irreverent gazers even in the vicinity of the holy place. No need of keeping people in by force. We were only too anxious to get rid of those who did not wish to remain. In my day it was esteemed too high a privilege to be forced upon any one. But you would not send those away who have communicated earlier and wish to mingle their intercessions with the rest? By no means. Let them stay and take their share in the priesthood of the people and in offering the holy sacrifice. But how? said my friend. You don't mean to deny that the consecration is affected by the words of institution pronounced by the priest? No, but I deny it is entirely and alone. We always esteemed it affected by three things, the pronunciation of the words of institution, the prayer of the Holy Ghost, called the invocation, which came after the prayer of consecration, and which I perceive you omit, and the amen of the people. With us all three were necessary, and so you will see if you read the liturgy of St. James, which was used at Jerusalem. Oh, dear me, said the curate, this is entirely a new light, and I thought if we went in for old Sarum we were sure to be all right. And I thought our incomparable liturgy was the model of all the primitive liturgies, said the shade of the Reverend Edward Starch, as it floated down the strand. No altar, no sacrifice, none of your popery, down with it all muttered the two spies, still skulking round a corner. I was fairly puzzled as I thought over all the divisions of the most learned church in the most religious country in the world. Certainly the blessed Cyril would have been lost in amazement, and as for me, I could not find anything like the grandeur of Holy Cross Church in the year 347 or thereabouts. One idea struck me as I prepared for flight leaving the astonished octagon standing on the pavement. As none of the examples I saw are exactly like what each professed to be, the image of primitive Christianity, would it not be better to leave off biting and devouring one another, and to work back by degrees to primitive models? I shall be most happy to come and show them my experiences of the same, but I do not for a moment suppose anybody will take my advice." After all, I am only a ghost. End of chapter 4 An end of Only a Ghost by Arrhenius the Deacon Written by Sabine Bering Gould